Hello, and again, welcome to Bit Depth. I'm Max Siegel. Across from me is Santiago Ramones. Hello, Santiago. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm asking you the question. Oh, okay, so. okay. Who are you, and what do you do? So I am a composer, podcast host, producer, songwriter, songwriter, and performer. I think I got that right in the right order of my usual bio mm-hmm. thing. So uh, I try. I put that intentionally in the order of the priority that I have those things for myself mm-hmm. um, or more as like a marketable thing. I think I'm probably more of a songwriter than I am a producer, mm-hmm. but I think I want people to know that I am a producer so that I can get more jobs that way. So oh, of that's, course. that's farther up on the list. Okay, <laughs> cool. What would you say people know you as majority? M- m- the, 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 yeah, mostly. yeah. Um, if I received any feedback from anything at all, uh, which I kind of don't, but, uh, uh, fun side note, there are cats here and they, they do hilarious things. So we will probably often start laughing, laugh, laugh. They they were totally calm until six seconds ago. I'm not joking. That's how it goes. They know we're recording. There's some energy in the air that something of importance is going on. And so now they, they've decided to... To start freaking distort out. Distort that. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, while I do... I myself am primarily a composer. I think probably people more know me for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, a networking tool. And so probably more people see that, oh, like I was on his podcast or someone that I know was on his podcast. And so they probably know me better for the podcast, but Hey, Hey, I'm a composer. I make music. Uh, hopefully that will flip in the direction of like, you know, I don't know if at some point like people listen to Joe Rogan and don't know that he's a comedian. I just know him (laughs) as a podcaster. Or, or they're, they're like, oh yeah, he's just a podcaster. What, what is this fear factor thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know Joe Rogan was a comedian until after I knew he was a podcaster. Sure. Sure. So yeah, exactly. There you go. Prime example. Like my order of Joe Rogan was podcaster, something, something MMA. And yeah, then comedian, exactly. But yeah. 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 He, he, he does the, the. <laughs> But so, this isn't a podcast about Joe Rogan. Nope. You uh, get a, a <laughs> the point being, you get very little say over what people actually yeah, exactly, think, exactly. think you do. Um, but uh, um, I am interested in musical Santiago. Okay. Because, uh, that's what I uh, know more about. So uh, how did you get started with the musics? Yes. So I... Probably there was just like a whole bunch of music in my house growing up, like even before I came to the U.S. Hey, by the way, I was born in Venezuela, came here in 2001. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, my my family's pretty musical, not in the like in the traditional sense of like trained in music school or whatever, but like. Venezuelan culture really values music a lot and like it's it's like a point of pride like you know 
oh, this singer and they're from here and they, you know, this is from that album or something or, and so like it, it permeates the culture really strongly, uh, probably because it's a smaller country, but, uh, everyone has like pride and like, oh, that famous singer, they're from Venezuela. Sort of, sort of a similar thing like Canadians have. Uh, yeah. Canadians are always like, oh, that, that actor's Canadian, that singer's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, but so probably there is where really my musical DNA is. Uh, but I started really doing music uh, in elementary school, like more than just music class. I did Circle the State with Song, which is like a special like elementary school choir that you have to like audition for. Um, and I made it. I was a soprano one. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so it's become attached to my identity that I have a high voice. And so I tried to like lead into that as much as possible for some reason, because if I don't have a high voice, then who am I? <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, uh, from there, uh, I did, I kind of skipped vocal stuff through middle school. Um, cause I joined a band. I played trombone. I wanted to be a percussionist, but everyone wanted to be a percussionist. So yep. I didn't get to be, and I feel like there's lots of times lately and as I'm composing and making music that I'm like, ah, yes, the drums. And I like, I love writing for drums. And that's probably because I was supposed to be a drummer and never got to be. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, trombone is is really fun. I don't play it anymore. (laughs) But (laughs) I think it's a really easy instrument to learn and a really difficult instrument to master. I feel like people say that a lot about everything. You can say that about guitar. um, But... uh, Trombone, like, I feel like everyone's first thing that they get from trombone is like, oh, but how do you remember where to put the slide? And it's like, it's just muscle memory. There's like, there's a place. And then Mm -hmm. if you like dent your slide, then there's really a place because you know it in reference to where the slide gets stuck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I did that in middle school. Then in high school, I got... I just pulled myself in every direction. And so I did choir, show choir, theater, and band. And I was a drum major in marching band. I was usually the highest chair, if not second chair or whatever. But I was pretty good, but not enough to like... I knew that I loved music, obviously. But I also didn't practice because I had enough like musical talent to like skate me by the necessity of what what they require in in high school um and then whenever i got to college uh my idea was like oh i'll just uh like i want to radiohead's my favorite band i just want to be radiohead (laughs) um and so i I tried doing vocal performance um Mm -hmm. but never having had a voice lesson I auditioned and they were like, nope, sorry. You could do music ed though. And like audition for that next semester. And so my first semester at UCO, I was like undeclared major, even yeah. though I was taking all music classes. Gotcha. Um, 
And then, yeah, I took some voice lessons and then re-auditioned the vocal music ed as like a backup. It's like, well, everyone needs a music teacher, so let's do that. I did that for two years, um, but like it was always kind of stuck in my mind that I wanted to make music and compose music and especially video games because video games have been really important in my life. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'll do the bachelor's in vocal music ed, and then I'll switch to production at ACM and do an associates. And that'll be super short. Uh, and then I took a class at UCO called history of video game music. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, right. This is what I want to do. Why am I not doing that? And so after that semester was over, I switched to ACM. And so I had two years of vocal music ed, which was like uh, four music theory classes, four aural skill classes, four piano classes. Uh, And so my musical foundation was pretty strong. I'd Mm -hmm. also taken AP music theory in high school, but like it wasn't enough to like I feel like everyone was just really confused during AP music theory and everyone just tried their best. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But that foundation helped me to get better. And I was like one of the, I was basically going to be a tutor for uh, theory classes before I switched to production. Um, Hi friend. There's a cat on my lap. (laughs) Everything's better with a cat in your lap. Um, yeah, I think is is that enough to? <laughs> I have a, I have a master's in music composition because I went to I keep doing this to myself. Uh, <laughs> like a long time ago, I wrote a song about how much I hate school, and then I just kept doing school. <laughs> uh, yeah, go on with the more questions. Yeah, so that's the next three questions are check check check. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, let me see. Um, how far <laughs> through this? Right. We yeah. Get? No. And uh, uh, I also know my podcast well enough to kind of <laughs> lead into the areas that I already ask about. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you, you answer. So <laughs> one of the things is what is your biggest influences? You yes. said Radiohead. Yes. That's probably number one. Yes. But it definitely uh, is. That's one thing I'm always really interested about with any musician. And yeah. So can you expand on maybe what influence radio had on you more specifically or, yeah. or maybe what other influences you might have as well? Yeah. Um, so the, the biggest arbiters of my musical taste are uh, Jesus, my oldest brother, and uh, my friend Libby, who like I had a crush on in high school. And so like you know, as a, uh, a young, Oh, more middle school really. But like, yeah, as a young budding, uh, pubescent child, you like base your entire identity off of girls. Yeah. Um, (laughs) whoever you have a crush on. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely half of my favorite bands from high school are cause I liked a girl who liked a band. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I got brand new and modest mouse Mm -hmm. from Jesus and, uh, Radiohead definitely from Libby, but, uh, that and Death Cab for Cutie, mm-hmm. uh, 
that's another. So like the things that I was listening to then have kind of shaped my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, like my falsetto is almost entirely Tom York. Yeah. My kind of breathy head voice is entirely Ben Gibbard. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, and then probably my like screamish stuff. I don't do a lot of screaming, but I, I do that a lot from brand new, but I, I write a lot of songs like brand new, okay. um, in the, in the sort of lyrical sense, not mm-hmm. always in the musical sense, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in, can you expand on the, what about your songwriting you think you get from brand new? And yeah. you, you, you and I have talked about brand new quite a bit. Sure. So. Sure. I think that, I mean, I'll just say things that I like about brand new and things that I try and get from that and put it into my songwriting. Um, the, the way that Jesse Lacey combines storytelling with emotional explosion mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is is something that I try to emulate. I do a lot of storytelling in my songs. That's probably also a lot from Death Cab. Um, but the where the the Venn diagram of letting out your emotions and saying something that yeah. might have some sort of start middle and end uh that Venn diagram is is I try and be in the middle of that <laughs> and so brand new I feel does that really well there's so many times when I'm like sad and I'll put on brand new and it's just oh he's just saying my feelings out loud with words mm-hmm. um and if you haven't listened to brand new, uh, the amount of times that I rep them on the podcast, you should by now. Um, <laughs> um, I would hope so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, let's go ahead and uh, just move along. Uh, what are important factors you think contribute to an artist's success? Oh, geez. Um, you don't get to act like you're not prepared for these questions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, I forget what questions I have. That's why I, I use the list every yeah. time I do the podcast. Um, but sure, I'll start in this order. Uh, yeah. First, being good at music. It's actually not, <laughs> I, it's not necessary in, in every regard, mm-hmm. uh, but it helps a lot. And so there, there are lots of cases where just a very talented musician gets a light shown on them and people are like, oh, whoa, okay. And then that drives them up and that contributes to their success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not entirely necessary. Uh, some of the you know biggest, most popular artists, whatever, aren't the best singers or the best guitarists or the best, whatever it's how they present that and be themselves, which says to the next point, um, being unique or being oneself, Mm -hmm. how much an artist 
plays into their uniqueness because I mean, and I, I see this more and more the, I see new bands popping up in the local scene and old bands dying and just like all of this happens all the time. And so there's, there's so many bands all the time. So there's so many clones of like, Oh, Hey, we love panic at the disco. So we started a band that sounds exactly like panic at the disco, which mm-hmm. is cool. Panic at the disco is really popular, but that already exists. So what you should do is like, I think whenever people discover a new artist that they really like, they go, it's like this artist mixed with this artist if they did this. Yeah. Um, and that's what gets people really excited. And so you got to be yourself. Take your influences. You can wear them on your, on your sleeve, but like combine it and then do it like you would do it, not like your influence would do it. Yeah. And then the other part uh, sadly comes to like, marketing and Mm -hmm. and management um i wish i had a manager but like it's it's some some artists don't market themselves well and i i feel like i'm one of them but uh you you'd need someone in your corner to be able to speak for you and be like hey they may not want to say this, but I will. Mm-hmm. This person's the shit. Yeah. And if you like take the time and listen to this or book them for the show, like we'll make some awesome stuff happen. Um, and like money too. So like, uh, and, and opportunity and stuff like that. Like I recently had this rant with my brother, uh, Daniel, because he he talked about Jacob Collier and how he's like groundbreaking and stuff, and mm-hmm. he, he really is. But at the same time, he he had the musical world handed to him, and that that doesn't speak any less to the success of Jacob Collier because clearly he is a yeah. a marvel of a musician. But like both his parents involved in music at like the university level. Yeah. They like gave him everything and then like people discovered that. And it's just, it's a whole yeah big thing built upon itself. And so an artist like myself, who is a poor immigrant from Venezuela, I can't quite reach those levels at the same rate that he did. And yeah. so he's, he's going nowhere but up. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people kind of have to grind uh, not that he doesn't have to grind in his own way. Everyone's mm-hmm. experience is their own, but like it's a different grind. Yeah. <laughs> well, you kind of started that whole thing saying, Oh, I'm going to lay these out in order of importance, but it almost more sounds like laying it out in order of how much control you have over each sure. step. Yeah. Like you have the most control over your own talent because provided you're not, like struggling to find food, you can always practice. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, you know, just the way that you went through those, I think, I think right, makes a lot right. of sense. And it's not necessarily that those things are most important in terms of impact on likelihood of success, <laughs> but it is a good way to look at it in terms of like, here are the things that you have more and less and less and less control over. Right. So, 
<laughs> and and you can you can fight to like break away from those limitations and you know some people don't have the time to be able to practice all the time mm-hmm. um but what little time they get they uh make their stuff look good yeah and having your stuff look good can do a lot for you as an artist yeah um even especially nowadays looking at that instagram instagram game like if someone you know has professional headshots done every once in a while mm-hmm. like that looks good yeah. on you as an artist and it kind of a little bit is of like playing a game of pretend like mm-hmm. sometimes you have to pretend that you're balling yeah so that you could be balling in the future <laughs> depends on what your brand is right yeah you could you could start out living in the dirt and then get famous for being that artist who's living in the dirt and yeah, then exactly. just eventually be pretending to live in the dirt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think oh, that's, that's it, a weird charade that comes through country artists. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, um, or hip hop. Well, sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get the opposite, but yeah, you get, in all genres, really, you kind of get that. It's all kind of fabricated. Yeah. It um, is. yeah. Um, it depends how much you want to play that game. Yeah. And I don't like playing that game, which is kind of why I want a manager because like you want I someone want to someone play else it for to play you? that game for me because <laughs> I, it does yeah. bad things to my brain to mm-hmm. live in to that space that. all yeah. the time. It's, uh, <laughs> people love a rags to riches story and it's yeah, easy. Yeah. It's easier sometimes to just find one than it is to make one. If that's your job is to make yeah. people famous. But, uh, you know, there are plenty of, uh, <laughs> manufactured regs to riches. Oh stores, yeah. But. Oh yeah. And it's, it's kind of part of the, I mean, good on Taylor Swift for having her success, but she is a product of the machine. 100%. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but uh, she does write her, her own songs. Mm-hmm. I will give that to her. And nobody who's ever, this is also part of the machine, but to <laughs> some extent it's you, there's always the famous people who get people meet them. And then they're like universally this person's, kind of a pain to be around. Yeah. And you never hear about that with her. So I don't know, maybe, but, (laughs) um, what is the goal or goals for your career? Um, I have like, I always do this with kind of everything, but I have like pragmatic goals and then like pie in the sky goals. Yeah, of course. So let's start with the pie. Yeah. Oh, start with the we'll pie. Start with the pie. Um, go big or go home, baby. Yeah. So I mean, I kind of said it earlier. It's like I just want to be Radiohead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you want to be the whole of Radiohead, but in a single person. It's it's. Or do I you want, just want to be Tom York? <laughs> I mean, sure. Uh, that would be nice. It'd be a good consolation uh, prize. But it's it's more like I want to be able to be free to make art. Uh, have the resources to make my art. And then once I put it out, people listen to it passionately. And like, yeah, I mean, this is the like egotistical drive that every performer has, whether or not they say it out loud or yeah. So it's whenever Moonshape Pool came out, which is Radiohead's most recent album, I 
went to my room, turned all the lights off, put my headphones on and listened to it like twice. <laughs> and I like pulled up the lyrics and was like, damn, this is so good. And I like absorbed it in like a, a whole thing and it made my soul happy. And yeah. yeah, I want other people to do that with my music. That's yeah. the pie in the sky goal. Okay. I don't like, I don't even really like need your money with that goal. I want your soul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I'm Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You want like a reverse Robert Johnson situation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's the big, I just want to be able to make music, make art really. Cause it, it's more than music. It is art and have people ingest it and understand it. I want to be understood. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's an yeah. innate human thing, but yeah. I'm glad I went with that. With that part, because I feel like you're the kind of person who's got like a lot of really clear answers for, oh, here's my five-year goal. Sure. Here's my one-year goal. And they're all very humble and they're all very pragmatic and useful and all that. And I've, I'm like, what does Santiago's ego have to say about this though? Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, no, the pragmatic goal is, is the, it's every musician's pragmatic goal, which is just being able to make music for a living and not have to worry about the next check yeah. being the make or break thing for me to be able to eat yeah. tomorrow. It's really everyone's pragmatic goal plus music. Yes. Like, like that goal. Make a living. music. But, but do music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then everything in between is just kind of like, I mean, we, we all have like side jobs and hustles and stuff. Of course. So I, yeah. I am an audio engineer. I do... And now I dabble in video. Uh, I want to compose for video games. That's the other like pie in the sky goal. I want to be able to like have game developers just come to me mm-hmm. instead of me trying to pimp myself out all the time. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> at, um, at the risk of running the podcast long or we're all not, not getting to things later. <laughs> um, I want to go back a couple steps on the music for video games thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like what are your, what are some influences for you there? So. Cause I couldn't my, name a yeah. single video game composer. Right. And I don't know and that most people can even gamers. So. I can name a lot of them because yeah. there's, it's my yeah. other obsession. Uh, <laughs> um, so probably my first like big favorite game um, was Prince of Persia. Okay. Uh, which was Stuart Chatwood, I believe. Uh, and he plays in a rock band or played in a rock band that I don't remember their name right now. But he was like more popular as like a rock musician than a composer. And he did the soundtrack for the Prince of Persia games. Um, (laughs) Cat things going on. Um, And I I say that soundtrack, not because it's one of my favorite soundtracks, because it's not, but because it was my first like favorite video game. Mm -hmm. Um, But it 
it was one of the first times that I, um, like started noticing soundtracks and games. Mac just got clawed in the air. I, I got attacked yeah, by yeah. cats. Uh, <laughs> the chair I'm sitting in got attacked by yes. cats, and that was uh, collateral damage. Anyway. <laughs> but then, uh, so the first real soundtrack, uh, Fable 1. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Dude, it is. Uh, the main theme was composed by Danny Elfman, but then the rest of it was by Russell Shaw. Uh, and it's so magnificently British. It's so like funny and charming and that theme is just embedded in everything it's just so magical that that score is just so like beautiful and so appropriate for everything um the there's a lot of choirs in it a lot of just really magical stuff and then coming to now with what my favorite game is right now, which is still Transistor. Um, that's Darren Korb, the composer. And I've been really into video games um, or indie video games. I've been into video games. Uh, indie games because they allow teams, smaller teams to make a more interesting artistic vision without the, the, compression of a corporation trying to Mm -hmm. make a whole bunch of money and so they're allowed to make art rather than make a product and so uh transistor was super giant's second game and i actually recently watched a documentary over the creation of that game and they they made a game before called bastion which is really popular and um it had more of like a like an acoustic-y type feel but then they were like all right with our second game we want to make a science fiction game and so it was very electronic but like jazzy at times uh like it it was like electronic drum and bass sometimes and jazz and kind of all this mix of like distortion and cool beats that made for this really cool cyberpunk game but it's cyberpunk without the like darkness Mm -hmm. and the soundtrack is the soundtrack and the art of that game and the story and everything about it is just like a really good solid experience it's not a perfect game but it the it's just a a work of art yeah and so darren korb is probably my favorite game composer um followed by disaster piece who did fez but he also did it follows which is a a scary Mm -hmm. movie but um which i only watched because (laughs) disaster piece did the score for it uh yeah, cool. <laughs> um, I want to wait. There is something I should say about this, just in general. Sorry. Okay. Um, it is your podcast. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what makes video game music more interesting than just like scoring a film or uh, just making an album is that it's alive. It is interacting with the player, and mm-hmm. so. 
you get a lot more opportunities to create something really unique because it has to evolve with the player. Yeah. And that is, uh, I mean, technology for it is getting better and better all the time. But like, I feel like the album is something that like, oh, here's this thing from start to finish. It sounds like this. But there's some scores that will, like video game scores will create whole new experiences every time that you play with it. And you might notice something different each time or something, or you can do different things with rhythm, uh, whatever it might be. It, um, it can create a, an entirely different experience. <laughs> More cat things are going on. <laughs> Really just trying to get the cat not to chew on the cables. <laughs> All right. Sorry to interrupt you earlier. <laughs> you you, you interrupted yourself. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the thought was going to be something along the lines of uh, what do people not know about video game music, but you kind of. Yeah. Think, okay, I, think yeah. You know, I think you knocked it's, it's it out. That. So um, <laughs> it's good. Um, let me. Uh, my brain has a loading noise and it's oh, probably no, okay. super annoying on the podcast and I'm, I apologize. Yeah, that's what um, the D-click plugins for. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, what what is what is a hurdle that you've gotten over in the past or what are you still working on? Oh, uh, geez. Hard left turn. Here we go. Yeah. So I, I remember last night thinking about this question and just remembering that it was a question, but I didn't answer it in my head. So... <laughs> Um, I think that, well, let's start with one that I've gotten over. I think that, uh, this is something for, for every musician, uh, they see music theory as this big, scary monolith of knowledge that they will never surpass or never understand enough about. And I feel like, like, I don't know everything about music theory. There's always a whole lot more to learn. I wish I did know more about like jazz theory because there's some real funky stuff going on in those chords but honestly uh yeah there there was a point where i was like i'm never going to understand this yeah um and now i do (laughs) and it took time and studying and uh something else it takes playing Mm -hmm. to learn yeah. Like, I feel like there's this mental separation that happens whenever people think of music theory as like, oh, it's just this, it's math for music. Yeah. And it, it is, but like, you'll, you, you see the numbers whenever you apply it in the music mm-hmm. and it helps. It's a tool. I, I heard a quote recently from Victor Wooten that like, people don't hire me for my music theory skills Music theory should only come into play whenever there's a problem. Yeah. The rest of the time, you should just be making music. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why Victor Wooten is the best bassist in the world. But yeah. (laughs) I think think it's really interesting. It's – and maybe I'm wrong or putting words in your mouth or something. But I think – you mentioned like, oh, people think that music is this big, scary monolith. And mm-hmm. like maybe part of it is like kind of accepting that it is in a way. 
Like being like, there is this huge giant world of knowledge yeah, yeah. that you can spend your entire life working on, working on, and you'll never complete it. Mm-hmm. But you kind of, you kind of get that and accept it. And yeah. then you sort of give your permission to not understand things. And then you, yeah. you, you start to make progress quicker than you might right. ex- expect or realize. We're always learning. Yeah. Um, a hurdle that I'm still working on is probably, uh, it's not quite a musical hurdle, but it applies to music in, and it's, I, I fight with my ego a lot in, in both directions. Mm -hmm. So there are times where I'll be working on music and I'm just like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And why am I doing this? And why did I waste my life getting so many music degrees whenever this is pointless? I'm never going to be noticed for this. Um, And then there's the other side, which is like, well, Kanye West has nothing on me. Like I got like, look at this shit. This is so good. This is a fucking banger. And if I had that kind of money, I would be famous already. And that's like, that's the nonsense that is like the super like mega ego brain. Yeah. Um, and I, I fight that guy all the time, uh, in, in both directions because it's like, all right, slow down there, buckaroo. Like (laughs) the, but you do have to have a level of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, there's some, there's stuff that I hear all the time that I'm like, I can do that. Yeah. And, and that does give me confidence because it's like, all right, I know I can do that. And if I keep working at it, like maybe I'll be noticed for it someday. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's the times where I'm like, all right, why did I waste my life doing music? I'm never going to make any money off of this. This is stupid. But like you gotta pull yourself up and be like, no, you can do this. Do it anyway. You like stuff that you've made is more than good enough. There's people making lots of money off of music that is worse than yours. (laughs) And that's that's cool because Mm -hmm. you know that the possibility is there. Um yes, it can be disheartening because that does exist, Mm -hmm. but you can do it. If they can do it, you can too. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever, uh, and I, <clears throat> do you ever feel like, uh, sometimes hypermaniac, uh, Santiago writes something and then like hypomaniac or, or uh, <laughs> sorry, let me, let me reword that. Cause I screwed it up. Uh, you ever feel like hyper ego? Yeah. Santiago yeah. writes something. And then hypo ego Santiago like works with it later. And there's a conversation between those two things or it's, I think it's, it's a funny thing because I feel like that judgment process probably happens a little later in the process for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are times where I'm, I'm making something and I'm like, Ooh, I like this. And that that's kind of where it needs to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of after I've like gotten somewhere with it, um, I'll, I'll stop and go, cool. This is a a good direction to go. And that is kind of where that comes in, where hyper ego Santiago will like, Oh yeah, this is dope. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that does help me complete things. Yeah. Um, 
And then the times where like stuff isn't working or like I had a vision and then in messing with things too much, it like I lost the vision mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I don't even know what this wants to be anymore. And that's where the yeah. like self-deprecating demon comes in. It's like, you're shit. Why are you wasting your time? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that conversation is had kind of later in the process after yeah. I've made something. But usually if I'm sitting down to make something, I, I'm already in a state that yeah. wants to create. You're not really, <laughs> you're not really judging as you go. You're just making things. Yeah. Cause, and I guess you can take that as advice, but like try and just make things first yeah. <laughs> before you, before you judge things or the moral of the story in Shrek, uh, don't judge people before you get to know them. Sure. Don't judge your music. Don't judge your music before your you get to know it. Before you get to know it. Good. Yeah. I don't like that. Um, I'm going to try to skip around a little bit in, in go essence it. of time. Seems like. Uh, I mean, we can go long. This is episode 200. It's, it's a fun, a big deal. It's a fun it's a big deal. thing. Okay. The uh, last episode 200 was three hours long. The last episode 200? Or, uh, episode the last hundredth episode. Is there like was, a whole other 200 episodes I don't know about? Cause I need to, I need to know. No. Um, time is a flat circle, Mac. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> time cube. Um, okay. So, uh, what is selling out? Um, having heard so many people answer this That's, question, I was tempted to skip it because this is the question where answers annoy me the most often. Really? And I couldn't even tell you why. It just, it's, <laughs> it, it, I, I roll my eyes during answers for this question more sure. often than answers for any other question. Sure. Uh, but uh, you seem to think it's really important. So I'm curious what you have to say about it. I think it's more that other people find it to be important. And so whenever we have that conversation, people realize how less important it is. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, I said I said the like musician goal earlier, mm-hmm. which is just making enough money to survive. Yeah, everyone is reaching for that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people reach a certain point to where they don't realize that they've already reached it. <laughs> yeah, and then they just keep going. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, and and that's kind of the the crux of capitalism. But like, <laughs> oh, just infinite growth—that's a possibility. Let's keep doing that. Um, (laughs) and so, uh, I don't necessarily fault artists for reaching for infinite growth. Um, but there is going to be something lost in the process. And I think that what we can define as selling out Mm -hmm. is betraying your values for Mm -hmm. monetary gain. Yeah. Um, like the real goal is one wants to make enough money to comfortably live making their art. Yeah. And there might come a point where you can make more money making something that's not really that's not your art. Your art. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I mean that's why I kind of I like Panic at the Disco's first album, but I don't like the rest of the stuff because I can tell that it was like, all right, this one was a band and then it just progressively became Brendan Urie. Mm-hmm. 
and to where it was literally just Brendan Urie. Uh, and now it's just like a, a pseudonym for the man. Yeah. Uh, and, and I feel like the newer music does kind of betray the, the essence of what the initial project was. Yeah. Um, same with fallout boy. It's kind of one reason I hate green day because like they're kind of known as like, Oh yeah. Rebellion. But it's like, it's the, the you're kind <laughs> yeah. of not doing it because like <laughs> there was a, a green day song playing at the gym, uh, the other day. And I was just like, Ugh. yeah, because <laughs> like that's that's the opposite of punk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's the yeah yeah. <laughs> I think um, a part of that whole conversation on um, selling out too is there's a distinction between what the audience thinks an audi an artist's art is and what the artist sure, thinks their sure. art is. You know? Yeah. So like Green Day, for example. I think you go back and listen to Green Day's early stuff. Most of it is just about like dicking around, being a young kid. Yeah. And like being lazy and not caring about anything and masturbating at home. Yeah. You know? Uh, <laughs> and I think the, for in large part, the idea of Green Day as like punk icons is because mm -hmm. that's the scene that they managed to come up in. Right. You know? Um, <laughs> so I don't tend to feel as much like, Green Day sold out because I think that that's more a thing that got placed on them. That, yeah, yeah. that particular set of values mm. because of the scene that they kind of came up in. But yeah. um, I don't know. I think, and right. maybe Brendan Urie is a similar situation. Like for some artists, and this is true for a lot of pop artists, like their art is their performance. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or their art is their lyrics and their art mm. might be, melody and everything else is just right a means to an end to getting the other stuff out and i don't know yeah and and uh the other thing is like getting to know the artists a little yeah. bit more uh kind of a, a a pie in the sky goal for this podcast is actually like i'd like to have taylor swift on uh -huh. because because of the nature of the beast she doesn't get to have genuine conversations. Mm -hmm. It's all like this machine yeah. to try and be something mm -hmm. and say the right thing. And that's like the opposite of this podcast. Yeah. I'm trying to get to the root of people. Yeah. And so I want to have her on and yeah. have a genuine conversation. The goal would be to get her on in a perfect world. Where she would talk about where she would actually yeah. talk There's and no, not do the the yeah. face, yeah. <laughs> Which maybe after a while it gets hard to turn off the face. Yeah, yeah, that's and yeah. I mean, I'm not in that level of the world mm -hmm. of that world, so like I I don't know how hard that does become. Yeah. So yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Um. Oh my gosh, so many cat things going on. There are only two cats, but they sound, right. they're like coyotes. Yeah. They sound like 40 cats. Yeah. Um, See, now the listeners are probably going to want to hear the cats because they're probably not hearing them. There's a podcast I really like <laughs> called Delete This. It's this married <laughs> couple going through uh, the husband's Twitter account every week and re re reviewing the news of the world via his Twitter yeah, yeah. account. 
and they have a very old cat. And a feature of the podcast is at least once per episode, they try to get a very close up recording of the cat purring. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. We, we may try to okay, just, yeah. just insert if, that if at the end. We can get a mic on them because they're there everywhere. Well, one just about passed out on you a little bit. Ago, yeah, yeah. So. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was vamping so you could pull up the question. Yep. Separating <laughs> art from the artist. Uh, do you? I do not. You do not. Um, okay. Because at some point it, I have no choice but to have that in my brain mm-hmm. as I'm listening to it. Yeah. Um, it's not my fault that you did terrible things. It's yours. Yeah. And the fact that I heard about it has now seeped into your music and it hurts what I can now absorb from your art. Mm-hmm. Um, so the usual prime example is Kanye West. He's not like, he's not like a, a terrible like person. He's just a, an unlikable person. Yeah. Um, but even that is enough to like, I don't feel like it anymore. Yeah. Um, just cause like, I don't want to be supporting that, mm-hmm. uh, in, in whatever way that means. Yeah. Um, and then like the, the bigger ones with like, uh, Michael Jackson now mm-hmm. that like I probably haven't heard Billy Jean in a while. Uh and next time I do hear it playing over some speakers, mm-hmm. I will probably not think, oh man, what a banger. I will probably think that man was likely a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> and it sucks that like you know, we're, we're losing something out of it, uh, because it was very important to all of us, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you got to kind of put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. If you're going to say that like this kind of behavior is wrong in society, then keep that going throughout the rest of it. And so mm-hmm. don't support that behavior. Yeah. And yeah. You can't and, just say it's wrong. Unless you're really good. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like, uh, fees are legal if you're rich. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because all you have to do is pay the fee Yeah. Uh, or fine. Yeah. Uh, fine is the word I was looking Fines for. Fines are just price tag on crimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you can speed if you're super rich. Yeah. It's fine. You pay the ticket, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. Um, so, I mean, we can't do that with morality because any more than it we actually, do. Yeah, it, yeah, it actually affects the world and we're making the world a worse place if we mm-hmm. allow it. So okay. I try and do that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a totally legitimate. Yeah, which answer. is why I have a hard time listening to Brand New's second album, because that was about the time that he was doing the thing. And uh do you know about this? I've talked about we've, it on the podcast. We've mentioned, okay, well, yeah. it may not be, it may be a thing that you mentioned on the podcast and I thought we talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Because that's how podcasts Yeah, work. yeah. I've, I've mentioned on the podcast, he solicited nude images from underage girls around mm-hmm. that time, but he like went to therapy and like dealt with it with his wife and like tried talking to the victims and stuff. I don't know if he like did enough. That's kind of more for the victims that's say, but he did enough me to forgive him yeah um and so i think that i can still listen to brand new mm-hmm. just not in that 
time period where he was okay with doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, uh, that's really interesting. I think there's a harder line, maybe version of that where you could say it's not okay until the victims come out and say, Hey, you know, it's okay. Or, yeah. or it's not okay no matter what, you know? So, right. Even where you're at, there's a little bit of a, yeah. A yeah. To it. I think for me, it is a little bit more of like, it, I don't get to choose if the victims forgive mm-hmm. the person. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in control of my forgiveness of that person. Yeah. Cause while they didn't necessarily wrong me, mm-hmm. they did in doing the thing that I don't like. Yeah. Um, and so I can forgive the people for myself, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can't like forgive the person and then tell the victims that they should also, because yeah. that, that's not mine to control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting into into like sort of a meta conversation of the podcast. Yes. How does that, I mean, I've listened to a ton of episodes and and you get answers all across the board to Mm. that question. And what are you, what is your feeling about people who answer it way on the other side of the spectrum? Who are like, I I understand. Yeah. Um, I understand that like it, Music especially is is really impactful in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are works of art that have like shaped who people are. Mm-hmm. And so I don't blame people for being like, this was too important in my life for me to not. Or, yeah. or I understand the mentality of, uh, well, they weren't doing this wrong thing when they made the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or the thing itself exists independently of the, the person. person who made it, I, yeah. I understand that argument. I disagree with it, but like, I understand why people mm-hmm. have that position. And so it's not like I'm going to, you know, yell at someone for disagreeing with me on that, but, uh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's mm-hmm. music is important to people in ways that, not much a, else. A, a recipe is. isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm tempted to drill a little deeper on you, that. You can't. So this is your podcast. Is it my podcast? <laughs> Would it be safe to say then that you're not so much responding to like in your mind some like moral truth of the universe so much as it's knowing the artist did the thing affects your experience of the art to the point where you don't want to engage with it. It's a little of both. See, there's a part of you that feels like it is wrong to listen to the music of somebody who's done something really terrible. Yeah. And we'll kind of get to it later when we talk about morality, but like, I do think that there are, um, in a way, objectively good things and objectively bad things. And so for us to be hypocritical in that sense, too, is that we're allowing ourselves to make the world a worse place. Mm -hmm. And that's that's kind of why I hold that line so strongly. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's it's it comes from within myself, but then it does actually have repercussions on the real world. 
the more people are like, eh, on Michael Jackson's pedophilia, the more eh they can be towards other people's pedophilia. And mm. that's why uh, the Republicans were very okay with going all full steam on a pedophile mm-hmm. on that one election. I forget the guy's name. He's not worth naming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also have a funny position on pedophilia anyways, but that's a later thing. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like I can't let, I have a funny (laughs) position on pedophilia go, Santiago. (laughs) Fine. Let's do that tangent. Um, We can save it for, uh, is there going to be an episode two for this? This is just, we're going. We're just going? Yeah. I feel like since it is episode 200, it can be It can be four hours long, long and it's yeah. fine. Okay. Yeah. I may need to turn on the heater because I forgot to when we came in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We can, we can uh, pause whenever you want. Start on, start on that because I, I can't, I can't let, I have a, a, a forget, <laughs> I have a funny thing on pedophilia. I can't <laughs> let that go. Fair enough. Um, and this kind of comes from Chris Ryan who wrote a book called Sex at Dawn, um, where he talks about sexuality uh, in prehistory and so how humans uh, have kind of evolved to be sexual as this species. So he kind of talked about it in one episode where he said, uh, he has a podcast, Uh he said that, like, why are we uh, so demonizing on pedophiles if it's not actually their fault that they developed this sexual preference? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it seems like a a thing that, like, if someone turns themselves in for, like, having child pornography... Uh, should their sentence be lighter than if they like molested a child? Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, because they didn't actually act upon this urge. They like tried some way of treating it. And so something that Chris Ryan talked about on this podcast is that there's like a law that says if a therapist has like a client that says, Oh, well, I don't know. I kind of, am sexually attracted to underage people. The therapist is like kind of required or compelled to turn them in, Mm -hmm. which like betrays the whole point of the therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because why aren't they allowed to get help for this? This is clearly a bad thing. So they should be able to, for one, talk about it. And try and deal with it because by talking about it, they're trying to not act upon this thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other weird part is that like, how can we help? Mm -hmm. And that's, I don't have answers on that. I don't know enough about it to Mm -hmm. talk about it. But in the same way that video games actually help reduce violence because people have an outlet for that violence instead of actually committing that violence upon the world, they do it within a virtual world and it helps. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are many school shooters that have been abated by playing video games. 
obviously not all of them have because there are still school shootings, but it is a sense of that, like, mm -hmm. if we do that, we can help. Um, I don't know what the answer is to that on the mm -hmm. pedophilia side, but like, you know, there shouldn't yeah. be child pornography, obviously, but like, I don't know. There's animation, I guess. Like, I, I don't know what that might mean. Mm -hmm. But uh, to claim that something is unanimous, unanimously bad and there's no no redemption from it means that we're actually just creating more of the thing that we hate mm -hmm. because they don't have an outlet for it and they are going to continue doing bad things upon the world rather than, like, dealing with it in some mm -hmm. sort of therapeutic sense. It sounds like a version of the pedophilia is a disease argument. Okay. You know, <laughs> which I think gets used. I don't know if this legitimately, how often mm. this legitimately gets used or how many people actually believe this, but there's sort of a, there's this thing that happens a lot online where someone will <laughs> post a meme where they present an opinion that maybe nobody actually has, and then they argue against it. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe this is one of those things, but there's a version of the pedophilia as disease argument. That's like sort of like equating it to homosexuality in the sense that it is another sexuality. And so maybe it should be accepted to some degree. I mean, but there's a conversation to be had, yeah. I think, is is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the hard thing about it is that socially we're not allowed to yeah. have the conversation. It's and like, like studying I don't, weed. It's like it's, hard, it's like studying weed and that it's sure. like it's hard to really have an intelligent conversation about a thing that whichever wherever you stand on the issue mm. clearly needs to be addressed by society. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're not allowed to. Yeah. Talk about it. Another thing that Chris Ryan quotes from other people, but it's like we can see the places in society where the most progress is going to be made in the places where people aren't allowed to talk about. So mm -hmm. where the biggest taboos are, are the places where we need to grow the most. Yeah. And so that comes with sexuality that mm -hmm. comes with uh, psychedelics that comes with spirituality. And it's kind of one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because I want us to be able to at least talk about spirituality in uh, an environment that isn't going to judge you for it. I, I hope you're okay that I pursued that. I felt like, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'm open to talking about anything. Yeah. Um, however many subscribers I lose because of that. Um, let's have a conversation about it instead. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of the, the point of the Santiago gets interviewed episodes. It's like <laughs> yeah. there, there's few things you said already where it's like, you talk about these things once a week for yeah, yeah. 200 weeks ish. Sure. And I'm like, Oh, I hadn't ever heard you like put it. Cause you, which makes sense. You don't want to like argue yeah, with your guests. I'm, I'm trying to draw something out of yeah. them rather than, well, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, and that would make every episode like twice as long. So I of course sometimes I'll inject a little bit of an opinion if it seems like we agree. Um, but most of the time I'm just letting them say their piece. <laughs> <laughs> or almost through half the questions. 
Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was where I wanted to go before you said, hey, I have this weird thing about pedophilia. Um, you were talking, we were talking about selling out or no, it was the conversation about um, separating art from the artists. Separating art from the artists. And you started on this thing about how um, like failing to view the art and the artist in connection with each other yeah. can make the world worse. So um, flipping that over, mm-hmm. can music make the world better? And in what ways? Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that is a question I have on there, or if not, more I or less. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that all art can make the world a better place um, because even if it's not actively doing the thing, it inspires people to make the world a better place, and that's just as important. <laughs> like it if people aren't inspired to make the world a better place, then no one's going to make the world a better place. So I think that it, it is kind of up to us as artists, musicians, uh, creators to put that goal out into the world. Uh, it's a goal of mine. At least I write, uh, a lot of sad music, not because I'm a sad person, but because I want the world to improve. And by pointing out, hey, look, this is a sad thing, it allows us to think about it. And in in that same way, like, have a conversation. And so the more that we're thinking about these things, the more that we're talking about it and exploring it and getting different perspectives, the more we can connect with each other and take action and make the world a better place. Yeah. There's a reason why Rage Against the Machine was so popular because it really tapped into this anger that we all had about the government. Mm-hmm. So, and still have, obviously, obviously, <laughs> uh, in some cases in the wrong direction, but, yeah. uh, so on that, I think that, I think that what you just put really beautifully and succinctly, um, is probably an opinion that most people hold hmm. that, music can make the world a better place and music yeah. can make people better people or art in general can make people better people. Um, what are your thoughts on the flip side of that beyond the issue of like separating the art from the artists? But, uh, sometimes I feel like people are less open to the idea that music can make the world a worse place or art can make the world a worse place or can influence people to do worse things. Like, I think that um, there, there's always, like, the creation of the art and then there's, like, the judgment of the art and, like, mm-hmm. the, the aftermath of it. Um, we should always have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if there is just, like, you know, there's there's rock bands that spew, like, Nazi mm-hmm. slogans – uh, and that's like a whole sub genre and culture and whatever the clan does. Um, and that does inspire action. It does inspire people joining the clan or the more solidification of those opinions. And 
I don't know if I can say whether or not that art should or shouldn't exist, but I will say that we should have a conversation about it mm -hmm. and that we should be looking at it um, because whenever we go, oh, this thing is bad, shut it down um, in the same way that I said in the pedophilia conversation, we're really just letting it grow in the darkness. Um, who, who is it that... Is it the Washington Post or the New York Times or something? Democracy dies in darkness. Um, one of their slogans, which is funny because they occasionally say wrong things. Well, like everyone. Very false things. Yeah, yeah every, everyone falls prey to that. But like, you know, we, we need to talk about it. We need to put these things to light and have more conversations about it so that oh, is this art actually like making the world a worse place? Let's see in what ways it is. Um, and we can talk about it so that the world doesn't become a worse place. Mm -hmm. These things should be allowed to exist, but we should also gauge them and deal with them as humans rather than shut things down. Yeah. That's a broader conversation too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that you have that question in there as like the positive turn at the end of a thing. Yeah, and yeah. And I went and took it back. <laughs> yeah, no, direction. I like that. Um, so uh, I, I want to try this to, to flip the mood around. Yeah. I hope that can be heard. We'll see. Oh. <laughs> Lindsay what? Buckingham, everybody. Yes. What you just heard uh, was the cat. Okay, so and it was purring, and then it rubbed its face on the microphone. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Okay, there we sounds go. to hear. <laughs> if they're gonna be on the podcast, they may as well make a contribution oh, yeah. instead oh, of yeah. just make a racket. <laughs> what is the? Oh, I'm excited. Oh, okay. wait, no, we gotta hit one of these before okay, we okay. move on. Um, no, we gotta hit two because I like the the last two on this section. Okay. I'm going to flip them though. What advice do you have for musicians? Um, kind of the things that I said with uh, what contributes to your success. Yeah. Um, so like be you first and foremost. Um, keep going. Mm -hmm. um, and do something new to you. Yeah. It might not be new to the world. Cause it's always, <laughs> it's always like a really disappointing thing whenever you're like, Oh, look at this cool thing. I've never heard this before. And, and someone else is like, Oh, that's just like this. You're like, God damn it. <laughs> I thought I was being cool or yeah. I thought I discovered this thing. Um, but just make it anyway. Yeah. Because it's new to you and it's going to drive you to new foundations, new beginnings, new, whatever. Yeah. Uh, keep doing the thing spiral out keep going there you go yeah that's not my quote <laughs> no um okay cool uh what's something that, that now this might be hard as a person who talks into a microphone for yes. two hours every week yes. uh what is something that people don't maybe know about you um maybe the sword fighting thing um the, the, yeah, I the don't, sword fighting thing? Yeah, I don't talk about it a whole lot 
because it's kind of dorky. Um, I thought you were going to go with the cosplay thing. And I was like, I think people know about the cosplay. Yeah. Thing. Well, but I don't know about the sword fighting. Thing. Sure. Yeah. I like sword fighting. Um, it's a, it's a fun exercise. It's a way of engaging all of the muscles in your body rather than just like the ones that you do at the gym. Um, it's hella cardio. If you, but it's also not quite as exhausting as being like in an actual fist fight. Yeah. Um, because like 30 seconds of that will just wear you the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you can go for a while with a sword fight cause you, there's some yeah. distance in between you. Yeah. Um, I don't spar with actual swords. I have foam swords, uh, that I keep in my trunk for the, if someone, if I tell someone that like, oh, I do sword fighting, they're like, mm-hmm. really? And I was like, yeah, I have some in my trunk. You want to like. Whack each other will, with yeah, sticks. <laughs> and, that, and that's the fun thing about it too, is that like anyone can just kind of like, I hand you a sword, I'm holding a sword and then like try to hit me. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. Um, so is, is it like a particular discipline or is this just like, uh, oh, I do LARPs or. No, I think, <laughs> I think that. LARPing is just beyond my extent of being comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, with that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe I should try it and it would be a lot more fun than I think, uh, in the same way that like acting would be. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't follow any specific discipline. I think that, um, for me at least, uh, it's, it's not about the, the discipline for it. This is just something It's just a hobby that I have for fun. And so I don't need to muddy it up with like rigor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is a, a style that I kind of mostly reflect, which is like European rapier style. Okay. Um, but like, uh, you know, some situations call for like, here's a kendo type of move, which mm-hmm. is the, Japanese sword style. Um, or sometimes you got to like throw a good, you know, two handed thing in there. And that's more like German style. So like, I know enough about it to like be dangerous to have conversations about it and, and yeah. notice. Um, yeah. and really I just have like a, a group of friends that we do it every once in a while. That's awesome. Um, and we like talk about it too, but like, most of the learning that I've done on it is uh, just through doing it, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you can do with music too. Yep. Um, but sword fighting is just a, a fun way of uh, getting that. I mean, we're dudes. We have just like violent yeah. energy pent up inside us, and it's a fun way of doing it. Uh, it for the lions. What else were you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, or else, yeah, I mean, or else you're going to like rip someone's head off one day with all this pent up rage. Yeah. So like just let some energy out. And, yeah. Like go to the gym, run, do lift weights, whatever it might be for you, but also do some activity that is like different. Like a simulation of violence of yeah, some sort. Yeah. Because, because going to the gym is like, it's boring. That's why we like, if you go to the gym without your headphones, you're like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like doing an actual thing is is a mon- much more fun way of of 
getting the energy out of your body. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nailed it. Go figure. You're knocking these out of the park. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. Part the, two. Yeah, the, the thing. Uh, what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Okay. Or as you used to word the question what that I really liked. Yeah. God question mark? No, that's actually the, oh, that's the, the next one. one. I actually used to ask, what do you believe? Oh, that's Which right. Which is yeah. so No, that's that's a little too Yeah, I know. And that's um There were some people that like You can start getting Descartes in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. just go, what do you believe? Uh yeah. or or just what? Yeah. <laughs> but so what is the role of yes. spirituality or religion in your life? Um I am very spiritual and not religious. Uh, if we have to put definitions on things, we don't. I am an atheist. Um, I, but the thing is, is that like the way that I structure belief in my mind is more based on probability. And so it's, it's not that like this thing is true or this thing isn't true, but like there are things that are probable enough that you can just mm -hmm. say that. Yeah. And so, like running the numbers in my head and the information that I've gathered. God, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Um, but I grew up Catholic and it played a, a very significant role in my life then, uh, enough to the point to where like I, I've been with Sable for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there was a point where I was like, I think I want to be a priest and our relationship has to deal with that. Um, and we like got past that and I didn't want to be a priest, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was important enough in my life that I had considered yeah. that at some point. Um, and the like biggest like Catholic experience I ever had was, uh, at a conference where there were a bunch of like, it's an arena filled with, Catholic teenagers and, uh, they, it's called adoration and they bring out the Eucharist, which is according to Catholic belief, Christ is in that mm -hmm. piece of bread. Uh, I'm trying to say this without sound, sounding ridiculous, but I have a little too much atheist bias now. Yeah. Um, and in, in, at that conference, it was in Arizona, um, I like got on my knees and wept and thanked Jesus for all of the things that he's done in my life, for keeping my mom alive whenever she had cancer, um, and all of the things that I was grateful for. Um, and that was a, like, I don't deny that I had that experience. I'm not saying that that experience was false because it wasn't. I really felt those emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm incapable of those emotions even now. Um, more just questioning where they essentially yeah. come from or. And so the, the way that I kind of fell out of it, uh, which I guess I can tell the story this way, but if you actually listen to the first three episodes of this podcast is actually this story. Okay. Um, so I, 
I was asking questions already just because like the way that Catholicism tries to defend itself from more information is by like teaching its followers uh, apologetics. Mm-hmm. And so I had like gotten into apologetics because I wanted to like defend the faith as much as possible. Um, and those answers just weren't cutting it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I kept asking questions, but I was very a very devoted Catholic, enough to the point to where um, I brought Sable into Catholicism. She, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, she wanted to do it, but I was obviously yeah. a very strong influence on that. Um, and so, like, she she was she took like the classes for it, and I was her sponsor. Um, and even in those classes, I was asking like edgy questions to in in one way I was trying to like satisfy that part in myself, but like the the face value for it was like, oh, I want you guys to like learn all the answers to these hard questions because you're diving into this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was just like, I don't like. I don't like these answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at some point, um, Sable and I weren't really even going to Catholic church anymore. Uh, we were going to like life church and I was already kind of like meh on yeah. all of it anyways, but I wasn't really, I was just like following along. And a lot of the times I would just like watch these sermons and just like point out, like poke all the holes in it in my head. Um, and there was a point where I was in the shower. I was listening to catch 22. Um, the book, the book. Yeah. On, on audiobook. Yeah. Um, and it was the scene where, uh, they're on a, a, a bombing mission and their plane gets hit by flak and, Yosarian, the main character, had just learned how to, like, patch people up with this, like, terrible first aid class. Um, And one of the guys there had gotten hit by that flak. And uh, he was, like, on the floor saying, I'm cold, I'm cold. And Yosarian goes to him and, like, sees the wound on his leg and, like, patches it up real quick. Sweet. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. Um, But he's still, like, I'm cold. And so he opens his flak suit and sees that there's just a huge, like the flak actually went across him and his guts are spilling out. Uh, and the thing that was holding his guts in was the suit. Hmm. And so he just puts the parachute over him like a blanket and says, it's, it's going to be okay. And it, at that moment, um, I just thought, there's no Satan It's just us. We're doing this. And like, yeah, uh, Catch-22 is fiction, but like worse things happen in war. Mm -hmm. Worse things happen in basements of houses that we don't know what's going on. Worse things happen in third world, third world countries. And it's, it's not Satan. There's no enemy out to get us. It's just us. We're doing this. We shape the world. We can make it better or we can make it worse. It's just us. And that kind of 
I, I spiraled out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and put a lot of turmoil on our relationship. Uh, but like we've, we've reached a, a place where we understand each other. Um, with Sable, that is obviously, yeah. but, um, however, in, in the, the first, you know, wave of whenever someone first becomes an atheist, you, you read all the books, uh, God's not great, the God delusion yeah. and, uh, the end of faith. Um, the, the, the great mm-hmm. heavy hitters of that, uh, which, uh, are really, really good books. I do find Richard Dawkins to be a smug prick and he can, he needs to calm down. He needs to calm down. But, uh, <laughs> Sam Harris is, is my favorite of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still like his arguments are pretty rock solid and I don't have anything like there are some things that I kind of disagree with him on, but like, he's pretty rock solid. So mm-hmm. it's like, I, I got you, Sam Harris. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where a lot of that stands. And because of Sam Harris, I've been open to more spirituality mm-hmm. rather than just like, nope, the world is just particles and molecules and there's nothing else. Yeah. No, we are interconnected beings. There are networks of things that we don't realize our bodies are picking up more input than we or really of, yeah. know. Um, and science is like it's trying to understand as much as it can but like there's stuff that we don't know yet and there are ways in which we are interconnected and things that we can't explain um and so if you were to tell me like oh my house is haunted this weird thing happened i'm not gonna say like there's no ghosts that's where my like initial inclination is but like yeah you can keep going and tell me more about it uh, like honestly i don't know Mm -hmm. um And so, like, I think that spirituality is really important in my life because I'm constantly acknowledging how interconnected we all are. Um, In fact, just recently, uh, Milo Sonder, the last person I had on the podcast, talked about uh, what the word Sonder means, Mm -hmm. which is, like, the feeling whenever you see someone else that you don't know and you see and you realize that they have a whole life experience like you do, mm-hmm. uh, not similar to yours, but they, there's a whole life in there that you haven't experienced. And that's every other person around you. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot. <laughs> but the thing is, is that like every time that you drive by someone or you bump into someone at the grocery store or whatever it might be, there's a whole network of things going on that we don't know but what you do affects that person and what they do affects you and every other person we're all one big mob organism whether we acknowledge it or not and i think the world would be a better place if we did acknowledge that yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry um yeah there's cats fighting and stuff but like yeah um (laughs) i really i really like that i think a lot of times with that question, people kind of land on oh, what's the role of spirituality or religion. And they go, Oh, well, here's my history with spirituality and religion. Right. Right. And they go, and now I am here. And that's kind of the end of it. And yeah. what I like to hear is like, well, what is the role of it in your life now? Yeah. And today. And yeah. how does it actually affect your thinking and your, mm-hmm. uh, 
and I've recently Which, been been talking to to kind of say even more to now. I've recently been talking to a friend who uh, I'm going to get him on the podcast soon. I want to. Um, he's he's really into the occult, and what I've come to find is that occultism is very badly misunderstood, yeah. um, and it's it's more metaphor than it is literal ritual or mm-hmm. uh, spirits or whatever. It's it's extremely metaphorical and mm-hmm. symbolic. But the thing is, is that those symbols really do affect our life mm-hmm. and not in a, and, and that, that discussion of literal and figurative or metaphor. And uh, it, there's a lot more layers to that than we think. Yeah. And these conversations with my friend have allowed me to kind of open myself to that and think, Oh, like it's not just like the concept of God or a God or demons or a demon is not necessarily like there's an actual spiritual entity that like inhabits a person, but the idea of a spiritual entity inhabiting you does change your behavior. Mm -hmm. And so if you create that idea in your mind, it will affect your behavior. And there are, there are rituals that we perform every day and, or rituals that we have in our culture that we don't even really acknowledge as ritual or, or, uh, talismans, uh, that we charge with our energy. Uh, and yeah, this is funny, Mm-hmm. vocab words to be coming from an atheist. Yeah. Um, but like my wedding ring is a talisman of our relationship mm-hmm. and it's been charged through the 10 plus years that we've been together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not it actually has any magical energy or not, uh, doesn't matter. It Does has affect, energy to yeah. me and it mm-hmm. has energy to Sable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real thing. Is it just a carbon fiber ring that glows whenever it gets UV light? Yes, which <laughs> is pretty neat. But it's also a talisman of our relationship, and it has much more value to it than just that. Mm-hmm. So that's a level of spirituality that I feel like a lot of materialist type atheists close themselves off to, mm-hmm. but are actually taking part in. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Definitely need to get whoever that is on the podcast. Yes. Because I want to hear that conversation. Yes. <laughs> okay. What is your definition of God? Cool. So I feel like I've explained the question on the podcast before, but I like explaining it because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to just be God question mark. Yeah. But uh, it's bad to have interviews with yes or no questions because it allows the guest to just say yes or no. Yeah. And that's not what I want. Yeah. I want you to go on this long rant yeah. about whatever and then like, sorry, did I answer yeah. the question? And I'm Which like, yes. God question mark only so. works for yeah. a specific kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is your definition of God? One uh, presumes already that there is a God. And so if they don't believe in God, they go, well, I don't believe in God. So it's not blah, blah, blah. Uh, but 
Yeah. But if, then this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side, of course, is if they believe in God, they'll just define God. Um, so that being said, I don't believe in God. Uh, however, if I were to describe God within my own sphere of beliefs, um, I guess more of like a, a Gaia type thing. God is the universe. Uh, everything that exists and doesn't exist and has existed um, and that we don't know exists is everything and we're everything, you're everything, I'm everything, you're God, I'm God. We are the universe experiencing itself. Here's Tom with the weather. (laughs) (laughs) There've been a lot of references of a particular kind in here. That was a second tool reference. (laughs) I was hoping you wouldn't say the band name and just (laughs) see who gets it. Yeah. Although that that's technically a uh, it's, yeah it, a, wow yeah now I'm blicking on the name too Bill Hicks there you go there you go I kept wanting to say Bill Burr and I was like no that's no. not it <laughs> no, he but just yeah. he just yells at fat people on stage that's wrong guy <laughs> um, yeah uh, cool did 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 you answer the question did you have more to say on that no I th- well I guess I'll I'll answer a little bit more in the realm of. If, I don't know, I don't think that it seems likely that the God of the Bible is the mm-hmm. God. No. Because um, if so, then the Bible also claims that all of your morality needs to come from this being. And my intuition shows that this being's morality makes me really uncomfortable suspect at best yeah um so i don't really want like if if that is the god i don't want his heaven yeah i'll gender it um because out of out of just sheer pettiness and principle (laughs) send me to hell god damn it uh <laughs> because I don't want I don't want that to be the criteria mm-hmm. to go to heaven. Um so yeah, I don't I'm good. Yeah. I don't need it. And we can create heaven ourselves. Yeah. This is all we got. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I like that. Take that, Pascal's wager. <laughs> <laughs> Is free will an illusion? Yes. Uh, How? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, same thing. I don't like having yes or no questions, but yeah. that it's a hard to it's hard to do that one. Um, no, the how is the accomplishes yeah. the goal. Um, yes, I think that. We are affected by our genes and our environment, and that's what creates us in the same way that if you raise a 
cat because we have these examples right in front of us. If you raise a cat in a abusive environment, it will flee from people. Um, in that same way, we are shaped by our environment. And if uh, your parents, uh, well, there's, there's an actual example of this in, uh, in World War II, uh, the Nazis cut off all resources to this one town in Poland. Mm-hmm. And so they were like starving. And what they found is that women that were pregnant uh, or children who were in the womb at this time would develop a higher probability of diabetes or obesity because in utero they're, Genes is an example of epigenetics. Uh, Their genes switched on to go, hey, food is scarce, so we have to take in what we can get. Hmm. And so once they uh, go out into the world and start taking in nutrients, their body's like, gimme, and holds on to it. And so they have a predisposition to uh, obesity. There it is. Um, So... That wasn't a, uh, whatever. Uh, (laughs) And and I think that the world would be a better place if we acknowledged that free will is is an illusion because our entire justice system is kind of based on that. Based on the opposite. Yes, that you are responsible for your actions, no one else. But we're completely ignoring the fact that the environment shapes who we are and what we become. And so the person that should be on trial should be our society. Uh, Joker memes imminent Um, because we, we created this being. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone shoots up a school that is, it's kind of the least fault of the person who shoots up the school and more the factors that contributed to this person being created. And so the environment where they were neglected or abused or uh, were reading a lot of alt-right memes on the internet and had an environment that allowed them to continue to uh, have that mentality thrive and their parents had a gun and so they just grabbed it and acted upon this one urge on this one day uh everything led up to that everything um and so to think that oh like this person is just a bad person you are just bad doesn't do anything for us because we're not going to keep preventing this from happening because it really is everything else's fault if we want to assign blame. Mm -hmm. And so what we should do instead of uh, locking someone up forever and they never see the light of day again, we should try and observe what factors in their environment led to this happening and try and reform them so that they can actually go back into society, hopefully a society that we have now made better so that they can go into and thrive and make the world a better place rather than go off of this assumption that it's your actions and your behavior that led to this thing happening 
when it's not. We are all victims of our environment and our genes. I don't get to choose how dark my skin is. I don't get to choose how much money I grow up with. That's not my fault. But we can create an environment where a sort of mobility is possible so that someone who is unfortunately born in a uh, resource-scarce environment is able to get to a place where they are no longer resource-scarce. Um, and that's that's up to us. It, Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I'm going to... And if you have any, like, side questions on top of that, please. I, any side questions I have come up with while you were going really come from me wanting to have a debate about that whole thing. <laughs> uh, and this is not currently the okay. time for that. So, sure. Uh, I'm really finding it interesting to just go really deep with a lot of this stuff and see what you actually think. Because please. You, well... I feel like you did it, and I'm <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, where are we at? Uh, how how do you determine what good behavior is? Uh, very carefully. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of, it's very uh, yeah, I know. On. Speaking there's, of very carefully, yeah. There's a cat on a speaker. My cat is on the speaker, yeah. and they regularly knock these over. <laughs> um. Very carefully. It, it's somewhere in between uh, Kant and uh, I guess Sam Harris. Okay, so I've only seen the first season and a half of The Good Place, so you're going to have to explain <laughs> to me who Kant is. Yeah, uh, Immanuel Kant uh, was a, a moral philosopher who uh, developed this thing called the categorical imperative kind of a way of observing morality uh, in an objective manner rather than a subjective manner. Mm-hmm. And so um, he came, he did a lot of rigorous just like uh, thought experiments and studying the world and everything and kind of arrived at a, a few different rules. Um, but the, the categorical imperative basically says... Um, if uh, if you can't apply it to everyone, then it shouldn't be allowed for you. Um, and so the first example of this is lying. Um, there's cat on the speaker again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to keep an eye out. Right, right. Um the first example of this I always use is lying because if if everyone lies, basically if lying becomes a rule rather than a like an action, mm-hmm. uh, then if everyone lies all the time, then there's not actually any concept of truth anymore, and it's actually a paradox. So <laughs> uh, you can't have lying without truth, and if you lie all the time, then it can't continue to exist, which is pretty funny, but also, uh, it would make for a very difficult world to live in because there's no way of knowing what. I'm almost certain there's like an saying. Asimov short story about that or sure. some equivalent yeah. sci-fi. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but uh, you can apply that to killing. If there's, if it becomes a rule to kill, then uh, everyone kills each other, and then there's no one left to follow the rule. Um, darn it! <laughs> and so uh, missing the part where this leads into some form of morality. Yeah. Well, so I I use that as you know the, kind of a, a foundation for a lot of morality because it uh, in what ways can I make the world a better place if everyone did this thing would it make the world a better place okay yeah uh which is kind of where it bleeds into sam harris he wrote a book called the moral landscape and basically he starts with this foundation which is uh what is the worst um like the most amount of suffering for the maximum amount of time for every person. Mm-hmm. Just imagine the worst thing ever for everyone at all times. And then we can move up from there. Uh, okay. So like just literal, like biblical hell, just the worst and then keep going up. Now there's, there doesn't have to be like an actual description of what that worst thing is mm-hmm. because there you can like kind of measure in a way of just what would be like maximum awful. Mm -hmm. And so you can just move up from there. And so anything that moves us closer to that is bad. bad, And anything that moves us away from that is good. So there, there's a range of things, Mm -hmm. which is why it's a landscape rather than like a, a a line graph. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because there there are good things in in some areas. There are there are peaks in the moral landscape and there are valleys in the mm-hmm. moral landscape. And so there are things that are better and worse than others, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily like everything. There's a whole mess of stuff in the yeah, middle that yeah, might exactly. change based on situation or yeah, or just isn't very clear or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and so. Uh, the whenever I determine what is good or bad, it's not just what I feel is good. I do, you know, whenever it comes to tougher questions, I do tend to uh, go towards these uh, mm-hmm. sort of moral calculations yeah. to try and determine that. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> this is why this is why I say I'm a philosophy hobbyist. I I love it. No, I, it's great. I think about these things a lot because if it's not important to everyone else, at least it's important to me, and I can at least feel justified in my moral decisions mm-hmm. <laughs> or moral stances. Because yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's valuable, and you know I may not have the power to influence the world in one way or another. But if I make these sorts of decisions with everyone in mind, Mm -hmm. then hopefully uh, I'm at least making my corner of the universe a little bit better. And hopefully I can influence other people to make their corners of the universe better. And it kind of goes into that whole interconnected web thing. You are God that the better we all are, 
the closer to a peak in the moral landscape is. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> there are cats doing cat things. It's okay. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to quietly shoo them away without uh, <laughs> interrupting things too much. Um, I like it. It's making up a good character in the podcast. Yeah. It's not just you and me talking. It's also you and me, and there are also cats. <laughs> <laughs> so you ask the question, how do we reduce division? I want to first ask, what is the division? Um, the So there's like a this weird kind of spiritual, I don't know, goal it's kind of galactic in scope which is essentially that in the same way that our cells interact with each other to create one well to create organs and then those create what make up our human bodies uh in the same way i think that we can reach those same scales above the species level Mm. and so with uh relationships and then communities and then going on and above to where uh in a weird way and this you could call it the singularity but it's much more than technology uh in in a way that we can be so interconnected that if a a leaf falls off a tree in china we are sharing that experience too, or that a, uh, a galaxy being sucked into the black hole is another movement of the arm of the universal organism that we are all one part of. So (laughs) that's big, but it's, yeah. And so, um, so the division is not that. Yeah. The division is everything that keeps us away from each other and makes us, makes our own worlds smaller and in that way worse. Um, being disconnected isn't inherently bad, but we can see the benefits of being connected and having a community that we all thrive in and uh, humans have evolved to be more so in communities than not. Mm-hmm. And so, which is why whenever a baby isn't touched, it dies. It's what's called failure to thrive. And, uh, because humans are literally so in need of other humans that our bodies will just be like, nope, not doing it today. Sorry. I'll just stop wasting my time and just go on to the next baby because this one's not mm-hmm. going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we we need each other at a like core biological level. And so that the the way that... Uh, oh, I'm just going to focus on me and mine and fuck you over there. That doesn't matter to me. It does though, Mm -hmm. because the more that you allow uh, whole communities of people to be 
uh, treated badly or subjugated, then that'll reflect reflect on you whenever there's like a drive by and someone shoots your kid. Uh, there's a whole slew of things contributing to this network of humanity and even larger that we are all affected by each other. Mm-hmm. So we should try and reduce that division. How? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to talk to each other in a way that isn't presumptuous. Uh, we need to stop having bad faith conversations to where I already assume what you're going to say and I'm going to try and pigeonhole you into this thing or I'm asking you this question so that I can gotcha and then just point out how bad you are and it makes me look good or uh, this thing only benefits me and if it doesn't benefit you, well, I don't care because I'm just living my life. I don't think we're making each other better with those types of conversations. And I think that in a way that by having this podcast is another way of having more conversations in the world where people listen to each other, listen to different perspectives, where I listen to different people and listen to different perspectives so that I'm not stuck in my own ways, that I listen to different things. And so it becomes much more uh, united. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just need to talk and listen to each other. Um, like actually listen, not just hear someone talking while you're preparing your next sentence in your mind, but really talking and then empathizing. Um, I, I'm kind of an empath which is why like moral philosophy is probably so important to me is because I, I feel it whenever other people feel it. Um, and it hurts me too. And I don't like that. I don't like feeling bad. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, you know, I, I, I cry at movies and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll listen to sad songs and cry um, cause I, I, I feel it. And so we need to really feel each other, feel each other's emotions, put each other in the place of another person. Um, and even with people that we might consider adversaries, um, uh, more Sam Harris, he has this concept, uh, called steel manning. So, you know, what straw manning is, is, yeah. is like you make this straw example of what you think your enemy's argument is, and then you tear it down. Yeah. Like uh, the, like the meme thing. Or the what? The meme thing. I mentioned you post an opinion that maybe somebody does or does not even hold, and then you argue against it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then steel manning is actually doing the opposite of that you try and put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're arguing against and say their argument so well that they would agree with it. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this what you're saying? And if you explain it and they go, yes, that is what I'm saying. Cool. Now I'm going to tear that down. But like, you don't have to tear it down. But having the conversation so that 
what it does is it, it shows the other person that you're actually where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we can all grow by putting ourselves in that position so that we can really understand what the other person is feeling or thinking. And so we need to have conversations and we need to feel for each other. Uh, that wouldn't hurt. And doing psychedelics probably wouldn't hurt either. Um, yeah. <laughs> K. Joe Rogan. I'm, I, ki- I'm kidding. <laughs> I have never done psychedelics. I've never even been drunk. So, uh, but the research shows that it does help in feeling a little bit more connected. So, uh, so if anybody if you, wants to get Santiago acid, yeah, he's I, I mean, super I guess down for it. We did not condone this on the podcast NSA, <laughs> but you know, this is all a joke. All of this is fiction. <laughs> None of this is real. Time is a flat circle. Here's Tom with the weather once again. <laughs> um, how? I'm going to ask you this question <laughs> only because I know I understand it poorly and I want you to answer cool. it and in the sense and in that way, explain it to me. Um, how do you live with or against the selfishness that pervades American culture? Yeah. So uh, it seems like a given that American culture is is a bit more of that, like, I need to worry about me and mine and then like, fuck you. Um which is the, the, what's the name of the flag? Gadsden flag? The, the, the snake says, don't tread on me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and we, there's, there's a whole lot of intense selfishness or individualism in the sense of, uh, all commercials are trying to make you feel better. And if you buy our product, you will be a better person. Um, Or the people that we value in society are the people that uh, have a lot of money uh, or are really famous. But we don't take the time to acknowledge that that doesn't necessarily make them a good person. Mm -hmm. And so... uh, Fame does not equal good. Money does not equal good. And that's that's the message that America is giving us and has been giving us for a long time. And so... So to the question of yeah. how do you live with or against it? Right. So I live with it in the sense that I do still have to play the game because I am a musician and I don't get to rewrite the rules. So I do live with it and I do have to kind of put out this message of like, cool, look at me, I'm making cool stuff. You should buy it, you should pay for it, you should listen to it. Um, And so, hi friend. Um, Wait, let's see if we can get more purrs in here. He'll purr if you pet him. (laughs) Stop petting every stuff. (laughs) We'll see, okay. And so, yeah, I'm, I am playing the game because uh, I don't have a choice to not. There's, there's the silly argument with, like, uh, you know, people who are communists and are, like, talking about 
oh, well, the world would be a better place if we, like, you know, uh, had the, uh, what is it, seize the means of production. That's the, sure. that's the phrase. And then the, the pedantic, like, oh, well, you're arguing against capitalism, and yet you live in a capitalist society. You're on Facebook on an iPhone right now. It's like, yeah, I don't have a choice about that, man. Like, I didn't get to choose the world that I was living in. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so I, I have to play the game. I need to do a little bit of that. And yeah, there are times when like, you know, you might need to ask for a raise at a job because you got like a wife and kids at home or something. Um, and so, yeah, you got to be pragmatic in, in that sense. And that's how I have to be at times. And yeah, there are times where I, I don't like that. Uh, and then against in that I have things like this podcast where I put messages like this out and say, don't be selfish, talk to each other, get to know each other, love each other. And so I want to be a counter to the message of if you worry about yourself, everything will sort itself out and all those other people, you don't have to go fuck about them. That's not true. That stuff affects you. And the more that you harden yourself against that empathy, the worse that you'll make it on everybody else. And then that'll reflect on your relationships with other people. And maybe people won't want to be around you or maybe people won't want to do business deals with you or whatever it might be if you want to apply it to that context. But we do need to be more interconnected and... I want to push back against the message that says that if you worry about yourself only, you're, you're going to thrive because it, it's not necessarily true. <laughs> you want to reach down, grab that phone? No, I'm, just, I'm, I'm thinking there's the, I'm <laughs> tempted to, I, there's a lot in here that I just want to <laughs> talk to you about after sure. um, <laughs> or on another occasion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish I'll probably just have to listen to this episode and then write it down because <laughs> uh, it's coming out the day after tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah. um, We're recording this on Tuesday. I'm putting it up on Thursday. Yeah. It's great. Uh, what are you optimistic about for our future? I think that there's a lot to be scared about, obviously. But in that same vein, with all of the shit going wrong, there's a whole lot for people to be motivated to do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, does it necessarily have to be some sort of rebellion? No, but we can we can do something about it. And I think that the more injustices there are, the more people are speaking up about it. Um, there's a lot of vocal racists nowadays, but that's really just because like we're getting really good at like getting rid of racists. And so they're, they're scared. They're running and they're, they're in, in their final death throes and trying to be like, no, we still matter remain white America, but like America's never been white. 
Mm-hmm. It's always been all of us. And if you go far back in your genealogy, you're going to see that like everyone's mixed. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter your race, but that's, that's just on the, on the race front. But like, we really are getting better at this. There are ways in which we're getting worse. Sure. Um, but you know, people are really scared about technology, but I think that technology is a tool and the way that we use that tool really matters. You can use a tool to build a, you can use a hammer to build a house Mm -hmm. or you can use it to bash someone's brains in. Um, you can use Facebook to share a whole bunch of lies, uh, or you can use it to set up an event and have a housewarming party for someone, you know, like either way you can, like, it's not Facebook's fault, although to there are things that are Facebook's fault, definitely, but uh, <laughs> it's not Facebook's fault. That's a whole other. That, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole thing. <laughs> but, um, it's not the technology's fault that it's being used that way, but we need to create an environment in which these tools can be used to make the world a better place. And I think we're, we're working towards that. And Mm -hmm. I think that in general, we're really moving towards that. And it's not an excuse to like be complacent and be like, Oh yeah, it's coming. So, you know, just wait for it. No, you got to work for it too. Yeah. But like we're, we're moving towards there and it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> cool. Um, do you believe humans are evil by nature? I don't. I'm, I'm a little bit more tabula rasa as I can't remember who was the philosopher that thought of that term or coined the term. Um, but it means blank slate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of what I've been saying about how we are shaped by our genes and our yep. environment. Um, we aren't necessarily selfish. And in fact, the research kind of seems to show the opposite that, yeah, you can look at how selfish people are now, but like, that's because we're living in this society, Joker memes again. Um, and we're sort of creating these types of people that are benefiting from being selfish. But if we looked at how humans evolved through all of prehistory rather than the very recent post-agricultural society, we realized that like, oh, look, we've been like very egalitarian communities for a very long time, for longer than we've ever been society. And so humans actually really care about each other, which is once again, why if you don't touch a baby, it dies. It's Mm -hmm. really important to us. If you get shut in a room, that's why like solitary confinement is like really morally awful because you're like, you're not just doing something like, you know, mentally to this person. You're like physically, biologically affecting their capacity because it literally affects us on a physical level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, uh, let some love in and, uh, more will come out.
Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, what makes you content? Everything. Um, That's I think that wonderful. Yeah, I think that there's always something to enjoy, to be content about. Uh, I have a cat on my lap, and it's warm and adorable. Um, and this is nice. I'm having a conversation with one of my best friends and like every, like not everything in my life is perfect. No, but like, this is really nice. Um, and could it get nicer? Sure. And I'm working towards that too. Uh, but are things nice? Yeah, they are. And, and this is good. Everything makes me content. Uh, Music is really nice, and so I put a lot of time and effort into that, into making it, into listening to it. Um, talking to other humans is nice, and that makes me really happy and content. My wife makes me very happy and content. Uh, I'm excited to get to finally move in with my wife so that our passive Time is spent together rather than apart. Um, and video games are fun. And whenever I get the chance to play them, I get to have new experiences in a simulated world that I don't get to have in the real world. And all these things are super nice and lots, lots of other things are super nice and I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so there's a trio of questions all in a row. That's the first one that are asking a very similar yeah, question, yeah. but just get like more aggressive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so are you content? That's a great, beautiful, positive answer. When will you be satisfied? Which I like to read as, when will you be satisfied? <laughs> right. Um, both never and I already am. You can't, you can't leave a short answer. We're already so, two hours into this. Right. We got to keep going. So obviously there's, there's a lot of work to do. We've mm -hmm. got, we got stuff that needs doing. I've got music that needs creating. Uh, I've got other people's souls to put into binary and then share again through audio. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a very funny way of describing the podcast. Um, there's, there's stuff to be done. There's goals to be met. We need to make the world a better place. It's a, it's a lot. We, mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to do, not just for me, but for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, we don't need to be complacent in where we are in our own life. We need to make the world better for lots of other people because there are people suffering and there's nothing that they can do about it and we can help. Mm -hmm. Maybe not you directly, but there are things that we can do to nudge the rest of the world in that direction. Mm -hmm. And every little thing helps. If you think that something that you're doing isn't helping, keep going. Um, it's, it's a wide, angry world out there at the moment. And it seems like sometimes there's, there's not a lot that we can do to shape it. But we are. Everyone is interconnected and we're doing, we're making it happen. So, yeah, don't be satisfied with the way the world is because there's a lot to do. However... <laughs> Um, this is also really nice. 
So you can't you can't just do the previous thing I just said all the time. You'll explode. So you have to take a moment and slow down and stop and enjoy where you are. And you can here's something else that uh, that makes me content actually. Um, I really love being at a stoplight and looking over to the car next to me and seeing someone is just jamming out and that like um, there's this concept that my brother uh, has made his handle uh, Mudicious and it's a a Buddhist concept uh, called Mudita which is happiness from other people's happiness or vicarious joy. It's like the opposite of uh, Schadenfreude. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that, that moment of Mudita makes me like ah, yes like other people enjoying music this is why i do what i'm doing mm-hmm. um and yeah i'm satisfied you you need to accept where you are and live with it it's mm-hmm. okay yeah. you're going to be fine it's yeah we're right here And this is the only moment that you get to accept this moment. So take joy in it. Be satisfied. It's nice. Mm -hmm. And then get back to work, you lazy bum. (laughs) It's kind of, there are two definitions to the word satisfied. There's like kind of, do you have enough Mm -hmm. or are you done? Yeah. And the answer to one of those is yes. The answer to the other one is no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's good. So it's, it's always enough and it's never enough. Yeah. It's always enough and you're never finished. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. What's the point? <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't do that. Dylan already did that to me yeah, once. You don't get to, you don't get to do that to me. Um, We are the universe experiencing itself. Mm-hmm. You are the most important entity that has ever existed because you only exist in this finite moment at this point in space time. And it's really important. You are infinitely unique. And that was an adorable sneeze from a small cat. Um, <laughs> and so... You are the point um, in in many senses of the word point. Um, but yeah, the we are experience. You are an experience. And so as far as I can tell, this is the only time I've got. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's an afterlife it doesn't seem like it uh doesn't seem likely yeah so for me i'm gonna do everything i can with what i have here what i know i have and cool like i can do a lot you can do a lot and so we can make the most out of what we have 
and do great things with it. There's mm-hmm. lots of other humans in history that have done great things. And even though your circumstances are different, you're also just a human being. Yeah. They were also just a human being. So it's not like there's some magical state that they reached to be able to do these things. You can too. So do it. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And if not, and if you like, if you don't get anything done, that's okay too. Did you enjoy it? Mm-hmm. Cool. Are you satisfied? Try to be. Because this is okay. I guess that's the point. Okay. Uh, experience the love, the, the sea of love that is all around us. Bathe in it. It will never end. It's beautiful. Enjoy it. Nice. <laughs> um, I feel like you could take the last half of this, you going through everything post what is the role of spirituality and edit it into like a manifesto, <laughs> the, the Santiago manifesto. Sure. You know, uh, starting to wind it down. Yeah. What advice do you have for people? Really, it's the, the three things. Um, we'll get there. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but that is my advice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that love never fails. You're like, there's nothing that you can do that won't be solved by caring more mm-hmm. and putting more love into the world. Yeah. So I actually want to, you just gave me an idea. I want to put a little bit of a different spin on this. Okay. I really want you to go into detail on just tell me what your three things are. You you end every single podcast with them. Yeah, yeah. But then I want you to tell me why. Yeah. So what are the three things? Love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. Roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Love never fails. It comes from the Bible. The ring that I now have on my right hand, it used to be on my left hand, uh, is the quote from the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind. Some other nonsense in between, love never fails. Uh, <laughs> when I was a child, I thought like a child. Not, the rest of the verse doesn't really matter uh, because the, the important thing to grasp out of it is that love never fails. The To me, love is the meaning of life. Uh, I... I I say the stuff like we are the universe experiencing itself and that in itself is love. Uh, I wrote some poems a while back and I had them played or so I, I wrote some poems and they were recorded by myself and some others and I had their voices and I manipulated them to make these poems a, a bigger experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the heart suite. I haven't put it out yet because I need some album art and there's some things that Sable wants to Mm re-record. So yeah. Uh, but that was probably the greatest capitulation of love never fails that I Mm -hmm. could put into the universe. It was like a very religious thing Mm -hmm. that I, that I could put into the world. 
with myself, but in, in my time of experiencing Catholicism and Christianity, um, the thing that held me together was trying to love more. I didn't fall out of Catholicism because I was full of hate or I was angry at the church. It was that I wanted to love more. And the, the rules and guidelines that the Bible set up for me weren't allowing me to love more. And I needed to love more. I could not love more. And so I, I believe truly that love is the meaning of life. The universe is overflowing with love. And it's showing us that because we exist to experience it and we are capable of loving and it loves us back. <laughs> Okay. It's going to be okay. Both in the biggest expanse of the words and the smallest. I kind of said it earlier. You are the only you that has ever existed and will only exist and will exist right here, right now. And that's very important. And, and that's good. That's okay. Um, Everything that you are is right where it needs to be. These two cats that are lying down right next to me being adorable, that's right where they need to be. Um, and that's, that's okay. And then in the bigger sense is that we are also infinitely kind of insignificant. The universe is really, really big, uh, like I can't begin to describe or fathom just how big the universe is. Listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about it sometime. Like he is so big or, or, um, uh, Carl Sagan, the, the pale blue dot one. Uh, that's a really good one too, that we really just are so small and so tiny in the vast expanse, not just space of the universe, but time, uh, the universe is what, 13 billion years old or something like that. That's a lot of time. Like we, like we are a tiny speck, a tiny blink. You don't even notice it if it goes by on a clock. That's how small everything that's happening in our life is. And so that means that like the worst thing that you're experiencing right now is temporary. And you can either writhe and clench your teeth and be, oh, this is the worst thing ever. Or you can accept it and know that this is temporary. And that's okay. No matter what, no matter what you can do, you don't even have to accept it because it's going to be true anyways. It's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> but. But I might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the lyrics to Sour Grapes by Bussifer is is probably the biggest the the best way that I can encapsulate it actually uh 
I'll, I'll pull it up, but I'll, I'll vamp on this. Uh, it also comes from science. Uh, the principle of the scientific, scientific, scientific method uh, is that I think this is true. Let's test that. And you can either go, oh, turns out that is true. Or you can go, oh, that is not true. Let's try something else then. And that whole principle allows us to keep moving, keep evolving, because uh, we don't know everything. And it keeps getting proven time and again that anytime anyone is like, this is it, this is totally it, we got it. Totally, fully certain this is it. And it's like, actually, uh, you know, you got this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And it's like, dang it. <laughs> um, so he here's the quote from Sour Grapes now that I have it pulled up. Um, Fear not the movement of the heavens above or the earth below, for change is what we are, my child. Righteous are those who look up and sway with the wind who look down and dance with the shifting of the soil, who swim with the movement of the tides, who seek the truth around them and discover that we are and have always been in paradise, the reflections of heaven on earth. Yeah. Someone should put that on a religion. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, everything is changing all the time and we don't know where to stand. That's because you're not supposed to just stand there. You're mm -hmm. supposed to move and keep moving. Everything is changing all the time. There's no real solid foundation to stand on mm -hmm. because like I said earlier, we are a blink in the vast expanse of the universe and something else is going to come along and be the thing. And you can either be stubborn and sit in your kingdom of wrongness, or you can move along and be a nomad and experience new experiences and challenge the premises that you held because you know what? Our senses are pretty limited and we're only seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, and feeling things. Uh, among other things, there's actually other senses that we don't talk about enough, but there's like empathic senses and like a fraction of feeling, which is like temperature. Uh, but it's not really quite just the feeling of something. It's the feeling of cold or hot anyways. Uh, <laughs> but we only have these things and there's so much else going on in the universe that like we as humans can't even begin to fathom and nor will we ever begin to fathom. There's so many things that you will never know. Cool. <laughs> uh, bring you back to it's going to be okay, but also keep moving and find out what else there is that you don't know. And that's, and even more so also with another Maynard James Keenan quote, gosh, dang it. Uh, people are going to think we're such nerds. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, they're those people. Yeah. But uh, spiral up, keep going, 
overthinking, overanalyzing separates the body from the mind, withering my intuition, uh, making no missing opportunities. And I must feed my will to feed this moment, urging me to cross the line, reaching out to embrace the random, reaching out to embrace whatever may come spiral up. Keep going. There you go. <laughs> that was all very well and good. We have a much bigger question of to course. discuss cake or pie pie. Now you mean you're right. Yeah. This right. Is, we are not the two people to have this conversation. Sure. Yeah. We, we agree very much. And usually whenever people say cake, I am surprised, but I also respect their preference, but also acknowledge that they have bad taste. And bad, bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I just keep that to myself and let them enjoy their cake because there's, there's so much wasted flavor in just the air that is inside of a cake that could just be filled with more flavor that is contained in a pie. Mm -hmm. So I did recently, I asked a friend this question Yeah, and he gave me the best counter I have yet heard. Cookies? No. Okay. Have you ever had a king cake? I don't think so. It's a traditional New Orleans cake. Sure, sure. Yeah. That gets made around Mardi Gras. Right. Uh, and I have not tried one, but I've been assured with a great deal of confidence that it would change my mind about the cake sure, versus sure. pie thing. So, uh... I need to try king cake. Okay, and you okay. also apparently need to try king sure, cake. Sure, yeah. They, the only place in town that apparently makes a good one is Ingrid's. Okay. So good Ingrid's. Yeah, good we'll, king cake. We'll see about that. Because you might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I could be wrong. <laughs> um, and yeah, there could be something that totally shakes my foundation on this pie thing. But uh, So far even, it hasn't happened. Right. Like <laughs> even like pies that I don't like as much. I would probably rather have than like most cakes, even than, a real good cake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like what's, what's the blandest pie? Like I would, a cream pie. Yeah. Or like pumpkin pie. That's probably an unpopular opinion. I don't like pumpkin pie I would pie say, very much. have you ever had just a cream pie? Where it's essentially just like whipped cream. They're not very exciting. Right. And sure. it is a pie. Yeah, it is a pie. Versus Probably like rather a anything. vanilla, like white sponge yeah. cake. That's really just getting as close as you can to cake in pie form. Right. Yeah. Um, I would take the cream pie over the the bland white cake. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Not sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, again, like I don't like pumpkin pie that much, but there are times where like I'll still I'll still eat. The pumpkin pie. Because at least good. you have the contrast of like filling to crust. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then the other corollary is always uh, cheesecake is a pie. Cheesecake is a pie. Yeah. there That shouldn't even be a discussion. Cheesecake yeah. is a pie. It's just a misnomer. Yeah. I don't know no, who decided I mean, the to The word call cake it. gets used for a lot of things that aren't cake. Right. Yeah. Beefcake. Yeah. You know, some people might say Santiago's beefcake, but you're not going to cover them frosting and cut pieces <laughs> up for your uh, holiday uh, birthday party or <laughs> what, whatever. What does beefcake mean? Uh, I think it's just like a hot dude. Oh, okay. Like, oh, you're a beefcake. Oh, okay. I thought it was more of like a, a bigger hot dude. Like, uh, sure, maybe. Yeah, so would be, I don't think I meet the height requirements. You don't meet the height requirement or, or, for beefcake. I'm, I'm below the weight class. It was below the weight class. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing about it is the cheesecake, uh, like cheese pie sounds 
weird yeah. and like different. A and, cheese pie probably exists, but it's a very different thing than a cheesecake. Right. Or it sounds like a euphemism for something. So, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Like, I'd rather not. Yeah. But it's it's fine that cheesecake is a cake. You can have that one. There's so many other great pies. So, like, cool. Yeah. I mean, I never pie. stopped cream pies, but. Yeah. Right. And that's. We don't have to leave that in yeah, the podcast. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you can. Uh, everyone knows what that is and we're just not going to talk about it. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, this is the part where you usually ask people to plug their stuff. Yeah, yeah. I Do went you- to a little event last night called Electric oh, yeah. Pizza where there was electric music and pizza and I may have heard a rumor, a whisper on the wind, if sure. you will, that there is a record. Yes, there is in fact an album out. It's called Too Many Damn Cables, and it's streaming on all the platforms. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Music. Who's it by? It's by Power Cycle, a ah. experimental electronic trio that is J.R. Edwards, Breck McGough, and myself, Santiago Ramones. Uh, I kind of happen to be the manager of Power Cycle, so if you have any inquiries about Power Cycle, you can just contact me. Uh, and yeah. Too Many Damn Cables, it's an album of completely improvised music. It comes from the recordings of rehearsals that we were, you know, practicing for other electric pizza concerts, but then stuff would happen in between and we would be noodling around and then someone else would join in and then it would turn into like a 15 minute thing. And we're like, whoa, that was cool. And that's, that's the album. Some tracks are like, two minutes long and it was just a short little ditty and other times it's i think the longest track on the album is 14 minutes long um which goes through like a whole bunch of phases of things and feelings and it's it's definitely background music like i don't expect people to like sit down in a dark room and like listen to the whole thing because your mind's gonna wander Mm -hmm. uh it's definitely background music it's ambient music but uh there will be lots of times where you're going to like, you're going to pull your thoughts back in and go, how do we get here? <laughs> like, I thought we were in like weird electronic beat thing. What happened to that? Cause now we're in like Arabian scale whaling. Like, <laughs> and so that's, that's a lot of the album is, is how do we get here? Mm-hmm. This is cool. <laughs> Got there by too many damn cables. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of cables. Yeah, you saw our setup last. I night. did. Was, I did. Yeah, yeah, there were many complaints on stage about there being too many yes, damn cables. As we as we danced around trying to get our headphone cables not to to intertwine mm-hmm. as we moved around from piece to piece. So yeah, <laughs> it was good. I am not what you would call a connoisseur of electronic music, but sure, I, sure. I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. So. <laughs> what else you got going on? Anything? Uh, well, March 2nd is the next electric pizza and, cool. uh, there actually won't be too many damn cables there because it's electroacoustic music. So it'll be a track and, uh, the players will play the music that's on the page. Um, so like normally people in a classical world would have an accompanist on piano and they would play the thing down the page and the person would play their instrument down the page. But instead it's with electronic music and the accompaniment is a track. So 
it we're as I keep saying, we're dragging the UCO School of Music kicking and screaming into the 21st century. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, we've heard Beethoven for the 10 millionth time, but like he's also been dead for a long time and there's new stuff going on. So like, let's get some of that up in here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And cause we, we are alive and we can do this thing while we can. And then maybe when we die, other people will find it and be like, Whoa, this is super cool. And be way more popular after we die or something. Cause that's, that's it seems the, like that's, that's how the goal. it goes. Um, it's not my goal. I mean, however popular you wind up being, it would sure. still be pretty cool to be like, yeah. Oh, like to posthumously leave a, a mm -hmm. cooler legacy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would appreciate experiencing some of that now. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, I, I hope that I get to make people's lives better for, for years to come. And, and then whenever aliens who happen to also have, uh, both systems that work in binary that can be interpreted in the right way and, uh, a perception of, sound. A, yeah, a perception of sound within 20 to 20,000 Hertz then hopefully they will also enjoy that music if they can fathom what music is. So, or maybe they'll just look at the arrangements of zeros and ones on yeah. these, the, are, these arrangements of zeros and ones are yeah. dope as shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we don't know what they experience things like, but hopefully these things are enjoyable to many different types of observers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what do you got going on? Oh, um, the biggest thing right now is, um, Dr. Pants yeah. is working Recording on a record, a album. which is really, really cool. Um, I'm enjoying that process immensely. Mm. We are playing the next Rock for Bernie, uh, mm. show, which I, I could spend five minutes figuring out where it's at. Right, right. Um, I could just say, get on. Yeah. Google or Facebook or whatever and search find Dr. Rock Pants, for Bernie right? or find Dr. Pants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a lot going on in mm -hmm. Pants Land. So, oh, yeah. Uh, that's the thing right now. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit more of a Yang guy myself, but you know, I've heard Bernie's pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go into a whole thing about the politics. <laughs> um, I am very happy to be playing Rock for Bernie, and it's going to be sure. a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's <laughs> that's the next thing up on, Sweet. on my yeah. list. So. Check out Dr. Pants. A lot of cool, fun songs and a lot of, like, also very interesting introspective stuff, too. So, like, yeah. check it out. Yep. Um, and is that all of your, your junk, I guess, if you want to uh, yeah that Mac? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't throw around my uh, my stuff as much, but uh, yeah, I've got a. I'm at not that Mac on Instagram and uh, Twitter, yeah. which I only use when I'm very sad. So yeah. so well, don't necessarily go looking for my right, Twitter. Right. Uh, it's not a reflection of who I am as a person. Sure. I promise. Uh, uh, but very fun things happen whenever drunk Mac is texting. I so. only get on Twitter or when tweeting. I am sad yeah. and intoxicated. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. 
Would you say that that's like the truest form? Not or even is it, a little is it just bit. Like, uh, no, the, the demon on the on the wrong shoulder. Probably that. <laughs> I think there's there's all kinds of ideas about like what intoxication does to you. Where right. there's people who are like, oh, that's your truest self. Probably not. And there are other people who are like, well, you can't really blame people for what they do while drunk because that's not really you. You're drunk, and I don't really buy either the, of yeah, those that's, things. That's also a little even bit. a little bit. I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, it just has a particular set of right, effects on a right. person. And but what they also are, decided to get drunk. So yeah, that is kind of on was, them. So their behavior I mean, is still even, on them. Not even just the decision to get drunk, but you're still a person making decisions. Exactly. You just like have a fishbowl yeah. while you're making those yeah. decisions. But what in the environment led up to that sort of thing? Oh, we got to judge the society for well, that too. We can have a separate argument about free will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this has been really good. Yeah. Um, thank you for doing it. You're well, thank the you for- first person that I was like, oh, episode 200 is coming up. I should probably do something for that. Uh, and so instead of trying to do something new, I did something old. For episode 100, Sable interviewed me. And in this way, uh, I also asked uh, any of the people who listened to the podcast, which is wasn't many, um, to send in questions. But in this regard, you are... A listener of the podcast and so you are also the one asking the questions so it's still kind of I'd that like, I'd yeah. like to think I'm your biggest fan <laughs> maybe not I don't know I don't know but I appreciate it if you are <laughs> but you, you'll have to fight my mom for that status oh you know what that's right that's right and your wife and yes uh, who knows <laughs> you know, right, right. other people have a much better claim to that uh here you go. Uh, we talked about how to start the podcast, and that was fun. I, we didn't really talk about how to end the podcast. Right. Well, uh, I don't we have do, three things. Right. Well, we do the, the plugs. And yeah. I get, do you want to say my three things, or do you just want me no, to say No, those belong to you. Things? I don't, I don't want to get tied up in your, your, your business. Right. Well, <laughs> uh, do you have at least a thing? Not anything that I have put as much thought into as you have for your three <laughs> things, and I can just throw it out there as like, this is my stamp. Sure. Uh, no, I'm not nearly that confident about anything. Okay. So <laughs> then, then let's just go with, uh, what advice do you have for people at this point in time? Um, I am on the back end of my life becoming a train wreck not too long ago, and it's just now becoming less of a train wreck. So I don't know that I'm in a place to give advice. And this is not a satisfying thing to put on the <laughs> podcast, but that is where I am. <laughs> I guess keep going. Do it Don't anyway. Just keep going. Do it anyway. Yeah. I uh, mean, I've well, got. No, I was. I was telling you to oh, give the advice anyway. Th- that's probably that, that's my. Also, also, that's probably yeah. where I'm at right now. Is like, you know, I don't know that I feel quite as optimistically about much, but <laughs> uh, I do know that right now the answer to a lot of these questions that we've talked about today is just just keep going cool. and do it anyway. Yeah. So I, I thought you were yeah, saying yeah. something different than what you were saying sure. when you said it, but that's not a bad answer. Cool. Like whatever it is, just, just do it anyway. Keep going. You know, 